Welcome to the Untold Story podcast. I'm glad to be joined by my friend and frequent guest on the story, Mark Thiessen. Mark, great to have you with us today. Great to be with you, Martha. So every week you write interesting pieces, and this one uh, that just came out is called This is the America First Case for Supporting Ukraine. And obviously this comes at a very important moment. Everyone is watching mm -hmm. what looked like the early signs of the beginning of this much-discussed spring offensive by Ukrainian forces to try to push back it kind of reminds me of the of the bulge operation in a way. They're trying to, yeah. to move in to the line that Russia has kind of entrenched along the east and the south between Ukraine and Russia. And it's also interesting, the title of your piece, because America first is a phrase that is often associated with the former president, Donald Trump, and his approach yeah. to foreign policy. But, you know, indications are that, that he wouldn't necessarily agree with your reasoning here about why America first is represented by a strong support from the U.S. for this fight in Ukraine. Yeah, so let's remember that when Donald Trump came into office, uh, Russia had already invaded Ukraine once in 2014, and the Biden Obama-Biden administration had refused to deliver lethal aid. It was Donald Trump who first delivered lethal aid that the Ukrainians were asking for. So uh, there's an America first history here. Second of all, I wrote this because I'm, I was concerned that, you know, Americans are obviously inspired by the Ukrainian people, but no one was out there making the case for helping Ukraine, not on the basis of idealism or on the basis of altruism, but on the basis of raw national interest. Why is it in our interest as Americans to help the Ukrainians? And so it's a 4,000 word essay. The Post gave me two full pages to write it, but I can summarize it in one sentence. I do at the end, if I could just read it to you. Sure. It says, if we help Ukraine prevail, we can rewrite the narrative of U.S. weakness, restore deterrence with China, strike a blow against the Sino-Russian alliance, decimate the Russian threat to Europe, increase burden sharing with our allies, improve our military preparedness for other adversaries, stop a global nuclear arms race, dissuade other nuclear states from launching wars of aggression and make World War III less likely. That's 4,000 words summarized in a single in a, in a single sentence right there. These are all America first reasons why we, we should be helping Ukraine and stopping Russia from winning that battle. Okay, so, you know, it's interesting because I'm not sure when I look around, because I think this is going to continue to be an issue in the 2024 presidential race in terms of, you know, debate questions and the things yep. that every voter is going to be looking at these candidates to see how far into this are you willing to go? How much more money, 38 billion already spent on this effort by U.S. taxpayers? Um, and there'll be continuing questions that, that people are asking about whether or not it's worth it, whether or not it's international interest to be part of this. So it looks to me as though I, I don't see a candidate who is speaking in the same language as you are in this piece that you just summarized for do you? I, I certainly see Nikki Haley speaking in this language. I think Mike Pence is going to be speaking in this language. I, I would suspect that Tim Scott uh, speaks in this language. And I think that Ron DeSantis, you know, his supporters, uh, I, I looked into the polling. There's a Harvard Caps poll that I cite in my piece that shows 60 percent of, of Republicans uh, believe that we should stand with Ukraine until Russia is defeated and all Russian troops are driven out of every inch of Ukrainian territory. That's that's the Republican Party. If you drill down on that Harvard Caps poll, I went to them. 69% of DeSantis supporters feel that way. Uh, there is a small minority in the Republican Party 
in, in the in their hardcore Trump supporters who don't agree with that and who are isolationist and don't want to do that. But they're a minority. And I think what, what DeSantis is doing is he's being very careful in in trying to avoid letting Trump make this an issue uh, in the campaign, because I don't think this is the ground he wants to fight on. I don't think that's a I think that's a strategic mistake, uh, because most Republicans agree that we should be supporting Ukraine. But I think the reason he's doing it is not because he, he doesn't support Ukraine. Um, and as he said the other day, if this thing is still happening in January 2025, then the Biden administration has really screwed this up. I think this this should be resolved. This could be resolved if we gave them the proper support by then. Uh, but if the Biden administration would stop slow rolling the military aid and actually get behind a strategy to win. So, you know, obviously it is beneficial to the world if Putin is diminished, right? And this desire yeah, to sure. to keep Ukraine. And it's interesting, there was a piece today, I think by, um, by uh, in the Wall Street Journal by um, Russell, Walter Russell Mead. And he said that, you know, looking back in history, um, it has always been understood. I think it was uh, Brzezinski that he quoted that with, Russia without Ukraine is, is, is weak that it needs Ukraine, that it counts on that being part of Russia. And certainly that has always been Vladimir Putin's M.O. here, that that he wants it to be part of it. But, you know, when when you look at what's going on right now, it's very complicated. You know, I was reading this piece about, you know, who's on what side. And you've got you've got Russians who are fighting on the Ukrainian side. You've got, um, you know, Ukrainians who want to be part of Russia. So what do you say to Americans who, who look at that and say, look, you know, why is this our problem? You know, why not let them sort this out? Um, I would say a few things. One, uh, that there's, there's, it's really not as complicated as some people try to make it out. This is a clear, if there was ever a clear case of right and wrong, it's this. Uh, Russia invaded a sovereign state that it had signed an agreement, the Budapest Memorandum, in the, in the 1990s when Ukraine gave up its nuclear weapons in exchange for guarantees from Russia that it would respect its independence and territorial integrity. They invaded a sovereign country and took it over and are try, and trying to take the whole thing over. Uh, so if there was ever a clear case of right and wrong, that's it. But in terms of our interest, uh, so first of all, if 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 Russia wins, then it's going to cost us billions and billions and billions more dollars to defend Europe. Right. So right now, the opposite is happening right now. The Ukrainian military is absolutely decimating the Russian military threat to Europe and doing it without risking any American lives. And so they've, they've lost half of their tanks. They've lost thousands and thousands of pieces of military equipment. They've had more casualties in this war than all the wars since World War II combined. They, they are sustaining uh, losses that are that they it will take them decades from which to recover if this goes on. And so if the Ukrainians can win, then what that means is we will have to spend less defending Europe. We can take we can transfer some of the military equipment and, and, and troops that we have deployed in Europe to the Pacific theater to defend against China and deal with the Chinese threat. But if we don't, if we if we pulled out and we let the Russians win, then we would have to increase our defense spending in Europe. We would have to because we have to defend our NATO allies. And Russia, if, if Putin wins, he will go. He will not stop with Ukraine. He will go after the Baltic states. He will try to build a land bridge to Kaliningrad, which is the the isolated Baltic port territory he, that that he has to cross uh, Poland and Lithuania to get through. That would that that would be a threat. He would go after after uh, Moldova and other states. This would be a massive Russian threat 
to Europe. So we would have to spend more to do that. And we would also have to increase our spending uh, overall defense budget to defend against uh, against China. So the massive increase in defense spending uh, that we would have to uh, enact if we were if we, if Russia were to win this war uh, would be is a pittance compared to what we're spending to help the Ukrainians win. You know, it's interesting. Uh, there's a headline in The New York Times today. Uh, U.S. officials detect signs of Kyiv's counteroffensive, that that yeah. effort is beginning. And we know that President Biden crossed his fingers when he was asked, you know, do you think you've given them enough to succeed in this counteroffensive? Um, so he said, you know, fingers crossed. I hope so. Um, the sub headline, I think, is as interesting. War crossing border no longer worries administration. So there was a time, and I pressed John Kirby on this many times over the past year. What is the definition of victory? And, you know, I asked him to to respond about different stories about attacks that were going over the Russian border, attacks on supply lines. And now that's stepping up. They're feeling this even in Moscow in places with these drone attacks that are going on and they're going after supply lines. So, you know, put yourself in, in Vladimir Putin's frame of mind. So now he's got he, he's trying to ignore that this is happening with his people, by all accounts. But now people are getting unnerved in Moscow. They're saying, hey, we thought this was going to happen all over there. But now it's happening yeah. in my backyard. I don't like it. I'm getting nervous. Um, where do you see that going now that this appears to be escalating across the Russian border? Well, why should the uh, Ukrainians uh, have to have all the fighting on their territory? I mean, the, the, the Russia invaded their country. Why should Russia not pay a price for that? The irony is, is that one of the concerns, one of the reasons the Biden administration gives for not providing a lot of the military assistance they've given, like longer range missiles, like F-16 right. fighters and all the rest of it, is that theoretically the Ukrainians could then use those to strike Russian territory and that would, in, would, would somehow get Putin upset with us. Escalation. You could very easily get to avoid them. it. Yeah, but you could very easily provide those weapons on the condition that they not be used for that. So they could, in fact, restrain them by providing these weapons to the Ukrainians. They could actually restrain them from from going after Russian territory uh, in, in certain ways, because we'd have an agreement saying you can't you will give you 190 range uh, kilometer uh, attack uh, these long range missiles uh, so that the Russians can't like just use a Biden, what I call the Biden perimeter, which is 40 kilometers outside of their territory. The Russians just know they go up to the Biden perimeter and stay out of it. They can't get hit. They can, you can threaten all the Russian positions throughout Ukraine and including in Crimea with longer range missiles. But the condition is you can't use them to strike Russia. And then you don't have to worry about that escalation. So it's at some point, the Ukrainians are probably saying, look, they're not giving us these longer range weapons. You know, why should we not go after uh, after Russia? So in a way, it's having the opposite effect of what Biden intended. The untold story continues right after this. You know, we have sort of collapsed on a number of things the White House has that it said it would never give, right? The HIMARS and now, you know, and and Zelensky's been asking for jets since day one. In the beginning, he was really pushing for uh, a no-fly zone over his country and didn't get it. So we see these walls kind of tumble one after the other. And now we are at a point where there are F-16s. We're training the pilots. Um, I don't think we're at a point where we have given F-16s, but they're getting them from places that we sold them to prior, yeah. correct? So I, I mean, sure, they will be. I, I think it's kind of splitting hairs, isn't it? Because if you're Vladimir Putin, you're looking at those, uh, those planes, you're saying, these are from the United States, right? I mean, yeah. you know, clearly he, he sees this as a proxy. War. Yeah, I mean, so so why are we holding back? Let's let's help the Ukrainians win. 
I mean, Biden always does the right thing, but he does it six months too late. If it, so we're they're about to launch a counteroffensive. I interviewed Jack Keane on, on my podcast and I interviewed him for this article in The Washington Post. And one of the things Jack said was that in order to carry out combined arms warfare, you have to have certain elements. You have to have tanks. You have to have uh, long range missiles. You have to have air power in the form of fighter jets. You have to have air defense. All of those things are things that the Biden administration has been holding back. They wouldn't give them the M1 Abrams tanks for, for months and months and months. They and, and so the Germans wouldn't give them the Leopard tanks. They finally relented on that. They waited nine months to give them Patriot air defense batteries. And now they finally gave them one. It took them nine months to do it. And so the, the Russians have been decimating Ukrainian cities with, that are completely undefended. They wouldn't give they would they they gave them the high Mars, but they modified them secretly so they couldn't fire long range missiles. And and they won't give them the attackums, which have 190 kilometer range and they won't give them the F-16. So now they're starting to relent on that. If the Ukrainians had all of these things, Jack says, this is, again, not my assessment. This is the assessment of our current and 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 past military leaders. Jack Keane says this. General Chris Cavoli, who is the SACUR Europe, the Supreme Allied Commander Europe, told this to members of Congress at the Munich Security Conference in a closed door session. If Ukraine had those capabilities, they would win the war. Plain and simple. Jack thinks that they could win it in a year if they had all of those capabilities. Because if you have those capabilities, you take territory in the time you want to take it. If you don't have those capabilities, you're fighting one arm with one arm tied behind your back. The Ukrainians are going to fight with whatever they have because they're defending their country against a foreign invader. I mean, my mother fought in the Warsaw Uprising. We've talked about this. And they, they fought with Molotov cocktails and, and, you know, whatever guns they could get off of. Uh, you know, her, her boyfriend during the war, Second World War went into a movie theater with a silver cigarette light. It was cigarette case, put it in the back of a German soldier and got his gun. And that's how he got his gun. Wow. I mean, people who are defending their territory will do anything to get a weapon and fight. But why should they? What I don't understand about the conservative opposition to this is where is the Cold War muscle memory? This is the Reagan doctrine. I mean, during the, you know, when Ronald Reagan came in to office in 1980, we had just ended the Vietnam War a few years earlier. There was no appetite to send American forces around the world to confront Russian expansionism and Soviet expansionism. So we came up with the Reagan doctrine, which was that there were people around the world who were willing to fight their own wars of liberation and defend their own countries. And all they needed were weapons, training, intelligence and other support from the United States. And so we did that. We gave that to we gave that to countries in Central America. We gave it to freedom fighters in Central America. We did it in Africa. We we did it in South Asia and Afghanistan. And doing that, we won the Cold War. We drove the Soviet Red Army out of Afghanistan by supporting, uh, you know, the, the insurgents there. This is just the same thing. We're now in the same inflection point in history where after Iraq and Afghanistan, there's not an appetite to send American forces around the world to get involved in wars. But we can follow the Reagan doctrine and help people who are fighting their own wars of liberation and fighting our enemies for us. The Ukrainians are doing us a service. They are destroying the Russian military threat to Europe. That is going to have the impact as well of, of deterring China. Because think of what everyone says, I'm concerned. We should be more concerned with China than Ukraine. Think of Xi Jinping's calculation when he's looking at this. If the United States is unwilling to help Ukraine, which is a sovereign, an internationally recognized sovereign state, are we really going to help Taiwan, which is not? If we're not willing to give, just give them weapons and money, uh, to help Ukraine. Are we really going to risk American lives to defend Taiwan? He, if we didn't help Ukraine, he would be emboldened uh, to, to go after Taiwan because it doesn't matter how many weapons we have in our in our stockpiles if he doesn't think we're willing to use them. So, you know, and then if if Putin could use nuclear threats to deter us from aiding 
countries conven- a country he's invaded conventionally, what signal does that send to other countries? It sends a signal to China that they can use their nuclear threat to deter us from helping Taiwan conventionally. It sends a signal to North Korea that they can attack South Korea and use nuclear threats to deter us from helping there. It sends a signal to Iran that they'd better get a nuclear weapon so they can attack Israel and we won't help conventionally. So it would if we don't help Ukraine, it's going to increase nuclear proliferation because every country in the world is going to say the answer is nuclear weapons. If, if Ukraine hadn't given up its nuclear weapons in the 1990s, this would have never happened. Yeah. Right. And so they, you can use nuclear weapons to protect yourself and you can use nuclear weapons as cover to invade your neighbors. And that's going to create more wars of expansion. And it could create a global conflagration that will draw in American troops at some point. So we need to help stop it now. Help the Ukrainians win and stop nuclear. It'll it'll deter nuclear proliferation, it'll deter wars of aggression, and it'll expand peace in the world. So has this White House done enough? As I said, the president crossed his fingers, right? So can they win? Can they, you know, give me your crystal ball view of what happens over the next three, four, six months as we get deeper into our election cycle and Ukraine gets deeper into this offensive. So uh, my crystal ball is simply that, yes, the Ukrainians can win. Uh, Biden will eventually give them all the things they're asking for. It's just like pulling teeth. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting. I do my, as you know, I do at the end of every year, I do the top 10 best things and the top 10 worst things that every president has done. I did it for, for Trump and I did it for Biden in the first two years in office. And on my top 10 best and top 10 worst list this year, both were Ukraine for Biden. Because on the one hand, he saved Ukraine. Mm-hmm. He, the, the, the weapons he gave, I mean, Russia would be sitting in Kiev right now. Uh, if it hadn't been for the support we were giving. And by the way, all the conservatives who are criticizing Biden for helping for defending Ukraine, if he didn't defend Ukraine, you know what they'd be saying? They would be saying first he lets the Taliban march into Kabul and then he let Putin march into Kiev. And then what a weak American president. What projection of weakness on the world stage. Every every party on the right would be criticizing him. So he didn't do that. And he deserves credit. But on the other hand, he's slow rolling this aid. He's implementing the Reagan doctrine, but he's no Ronald Reagan. We should be giving them the weapons to drive uh, you, the Russians out of Ukraine in the same way Reagan drove the Soviet Red Army out of Afghanistan. And it didn't start a nuclear war. If anything, it brought down uh, the, the it ended the Cold War without a shot being fired in hostility between the United States and Soviet Union. We could do the same thing in Ukraine. And we should. So let me ask you this last question, Mark. President Trump, the former president who's running again, has you know, sort of stop short of answering the question, do you believe that we have to do what it takes to help Ukraine win? He has talked about, you know, that he could get a negotiation underway in 24 hours. How do you see this playing out for him politically if he becomes the nominee? I don't know that this is going to be the decisive issue in the election. I think it's important. I think foreign policy is important, and especially when you have a crisis, uh, you know, then, then then foreign policy is front and center. But look, if this is still, I think DeSantis is right. If this is still going on in the way it is in January 2025, and we're in this stalemate, that's a huge failure of the Biden administration, and Biden will pay a price for that. You know, and I w- you would think that Biden would want to want to put up a W. Right. You know, he's got so many losses going on. The worst inflation in 40 years, the worst, you know, border crisis in American history, the worst foreign policy debacle with the Afghan withdrawal, the worst crime wave since the 1990s. Why wouldn't he want to win? 
Why wouldn't he want to say why wouldn't he want to see Ukraine prevail on his watch and be able to go into the election and say, I helped Ukraine prevail in this struggle? So if I was Biden, I would want to I would want to provide them with as much assistance as I can now instead of slow rolling it so that he can win before the election and claim credit for that. And then if Trump were to somehow win, there would be a situation on the ground that favors Ukraine. And yeah, then he could wrap it up in 24 hours and, and negotiate the peace agreement. We don't want to we wouldn't want to negotiate a peace agreement right now with the conditions that are on the ground now. But a year and a half from now, maybe it's a long time. Uh, and uh, <laughs> we've been watching this play out since February of, of 22. My my best estimate is that it still will be going on when we get to the heat yes. of the presidential election as well. And um, we'll see what happens. But clearly it's going to be one of the biggest topics for anybody who wants to be president of this country. It's, it's going to be very interesting to watch this offensive over the spring and whether or not they can reclaim the land bridge between Russia and Crimea, which obviously would be yeah. a huge turning point if Ukraine can do that. And they have absolutely exceeded anyone's expectations in terms of what they can achieve in this so far. So we'll be watching. Mark, thank you very much. Great piece. Thank you, Martha. Uh, This is the America First case for supporting Ukraine by Mark Thiessen in The Washington Post. It is a beefy piece and um, it's full of (laughs) of some really thought-provoking take on, on what we need to think about with regard to this this conflict. So, Mark, thank you very much. Always good to see you. Always great to see you, Martha. Thank you. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.